On this week's Behind the Wall, we talk about the weekend's chilly action at Kansas Speedway. We have breaking news surrounding Eric Jones' future in the Cup Series, and we react to Kyle Larson's reinstatement back into NASCAR, along with some news regarding which manufacturers backed him once again. We talk about the playoff pictures. We head to Texas Motor Speedway, and we have a fun interview with Richmond Raceway's own Dennis Bickmeyer. As always, we have retweeter mute, dark horses, and everybody's favorite hot takes. This is a Behind the Wall podcast. With me, as always, Jay, Josh. We got Adam Thomas this week. It's going to be a good one. Let's roll. Well, I'm dressed for success. I'm going for gold. Well, I'd rather strike out on three straight pitches and have regrets when I get old. Well, you can wait to feel like someone. Hey, this is Steve Everett, and you're listening to my song, Fake It, available everywhere. Now let's get to the show. This is the Behind the Wall podcast brought to you by Behind the Wall Media. I promise they're not drunk. Hey, welcome back to the Behind the Wall podcast. Thank you, Steve Everett, for the music. Looked like it was a cold weekend at Kansas. I was surprised when I turned I tuned in on Sunday to see everyone wearing jackets. So I looked up the temperature and saw that at race start is about 43 degrees, which is way too cold to be racing in. I don't know if I'd want to watch a race in that cold. That's fine for football, but... I feel like for NASCAR, you need to be in the 70s or above. But let's go and jump into the action. Joey Logano held off Kevin Harvick, which was surprising, but not surprising with the package at the same time. But overall, great race. All the cars hung together, did what the package was supposed to do. What did you all think about the race? Uh, Yeah, that was the first thing I was going to bring up was the was the package. You know? um, not really a huge fan of the uh, – High downforce package, but um, overall, I thought it was a good race uh, near the end. Joey kept upsetting me, blocking all the runs Kevin had. Once he got close to him, it was like a giant balloon was between each car, and it just stalled out his run completely and could just never get to the back bumper and never make the end of the race exciting. But, um, yeah, it is what it is, uh, Joey, on the, the final four, headed to Phoenix. Uh, we'll see what happens this upcoming week, but. Um, yeah, over, I thought it was a good race overall. Yeah, the restarts were great. Um, a lot of side-by-side action, three wide, stuff like that. Kind of some runs, a little reminiscent of, like, super speedway racing. But uh, towards the end of the race, you know, passing was impossible. The leader just creates a wall of air um, that not even a, even a faster car can't even, like, overcome. So um, I think the package is... In some ways, it's effective. In other ways, it's broken. Um, so we'll see. Um, it seems like it's not going to change, if at all, for next year. So we'll see how the next-gen car can overcome this. I think NASCAR needs to go away from high downforce um, and go away from the, like, the dependence on splitters and spoilers. But uh, it was a pretty good race overall. I thought the beginning was definitely... Um, pretty good oh like you said again with the restarts and even towards the end of the race it was still definitely um a little exciting seeing if kevin harvick could chase down joey but the fact that he never really caught him or at least got to his side i feel like uh just made things not as enjoyable but overall it was a solid race i guess I think if it, with the package and how it is, I think they should have kept it how it was when they ran it for the All Star Race back in the uh, back a couple of years ago at Charlotte. 
with the restrictor plates at the time and then the the other body modifications or whatever you want to call it, the package they had. That was, I think that was peak intermediate racing right there. Uh, super exciting to see all the cars together. Reminded me of like a Talladega, but on a mile and a half track. Uh, I doubt we're going to get anything like that with the upcoming package, but we'll see. Josh, what did you think about the race? I liked it. I thought it was a really good race. Uh, battle for the lead at the end was pretty interesting to watch. I thought Bowman was going to get there, but then something happened to him. And then it was between Harvick and Logano, and I kind of figured Harvick wouldn't be able to get by him. but the wall of air that that spoiler throws off is just insane and you can't get any passing. I feel like we just trashed this package week in and week out on the podcast and there's no reason not to trash it because of how bad it is. Like you said, the all-star race was extremely good uh, intermediate racing, but also think you go back and look at it. It's the first time they had this package. It's the first, now they're, they're used to it. And uh, they know what to do with runs, where to pass, how to do this and that. Last time they ran it in the All-Star race, was it was their first time, and they're just going out there and, like you said, raced it like Talladega. And they don't really do that anymore because it all gets strung out and no crashes because the cars handle so close to the track. But overall, it was a really good Kansas race. I was really surprised it didn't get the uh, a higher percentage of yes on Jeff Gluck's poll, but... Nonetheless, it's a pretty solid race, and I'm looking forward to Texas this weekend. I don't know about y'all. Oh, go ahead, Jay. The the thing about the All-Star Race package, though, is I think that the cars are too slow for NASCAR's liking. They only had 400 horsepower, and I feel like this like NASCAR definitely needs more horsepower, which I think this this inter this intermediate uh, track package we currently have is just you know it's been a, it's a temporary fix. Um, and I feel like to get back to good racing, NASCAR will need to reintroduce high horsepower, but also make the cars less aerodynamic and harder to drive. Because when the cars are harder to drive, I feel like that's when driver skill plays more of a factor. Because nowadays, people are just holding it wide open. Um, you know, Kyle Busch has been kind of very vocal about it. And I really didn't mean for this to turn into like a whole uh, rant or tirade about the package. But um, I feel like there is a better, like, if we look back at the, like, the Gen 4 cars, um, you know, they had, they had power, but they weren't as aerodynamic. They're harder to control. They're more like a brick on wheels. Um, so I feel like if we could get back to that, especially getting away of this dang splitter, man, it's, the splitter is kind of just killed racing, in my opinion. Uh, if you, if you destroy the splitter, you're done for the day. I mean, we've seen that before, so. You know, cars used to go through the grass and, and make it out fine and stuff like that. But the splitter, I feel like, has just killed the r- racing on, on big tracks. Yeah, I I agree. We'll, we'll just have to see what, uh, where they take the next-gen car. I'm, I'm interested to see if they're actually going to be listening to fans or if they're just going to go strictly on data, which they could go either way. And I mean, they're going to try to put the best product on the track, so I trust them with that. But going back to the Kansas race, I don't know. Well, I, I know you guys know how I feel about my boy Kurt Busch. Uh, yeah, that was that was tough, but that basically puts him into a must-win situation heading to uh, the next two races at Texas and Martinsville. But let's go ahead and talk about the playoff picture a bit, like we like the obvious, uh, or we already know that uh, 
Joey Logano's in for the final four, so he gets to basically just sit back and rest and get the car ready for Phoenix. Uh, you gotta, you gotta think that Kevin Harvick's going to be in Denny Hamlin probably going to be in. So really just kind of leaves us with one spot and you're going to have basically Chase Elliott needs to get a win to secure himself. Keselowski is going to be good, good, uh, going to be good at the next two tracks. And, uh, Kurt Busch never really run well at Texas, but he's, he's got to, uh, he's got to show something up. But what do y'all think about the playoff pictures? We get ready to get down to four cars in a couple weeks who do y'all who do y'all see ended up getting out of the bubble right now um, my heart says oh, you got it let me say i don't i think um after joey logano winning i feel like for someone wasn't surprised but to a lot it actually came as a surprise because he hasn't really been hot all year he's kind of he started off hot then he got really cold um, so I feel like that's really shaken up a, a, a lot more of the playoff picture than people realize. And I definitely don't think we'll actually see the usual suspect, like the people we thought we would. I think Kevin Harvick is, I don't know if I'd necessarily consider him a lock yet. Um, Texas is one of his better tracks as of recently. He's probably the favorite to win there, but we just don't know. And I don't see him really getting it done at Martinsville. So Yes, he can point his way in, but, um, you know, I don't see him as a lock just yet. Same with Denny Hamlin, you know, because, um, you know, he, he was in a situation where he spun at Texas and he had to win Phoenix to get into the championship. So I think guys probably, especially like Truex, um, even Kozlowski could almost kind of make a surprise visit into the championship for because they you know Keselowski maybe not so much but Truex only has one win and he hasn't been as strong as as he has in previous years so he could be a um kind of an unexpected face in the championship for yeah well if you look at the standings um I wouldn't yeah same same with me I wouldn't consider Denny uh relatively a lock on his place because he's only plus 20 and you mentioned how he spun out of Texas Texas before so it can't happen again like you know like Kurt said after in his interview um after he blew his engine he's like that rarely happens nowadays because all these all these motors come from the main manufacturer um of the sport and you just never see an engine blow and so when something like that can happen um puts him in a bad situation but I personally see um Alex Bowman have if he has a couple good races um, leading up, gets a lot of stage points. He could put himself into the mix for that final spot um, into the number four spot. We'll see what happens there. I think it's hard to go against Martin Truex Jr. He's down there sitting below the cut, and he hasn't performed like a top four, uh, a top four driver this season. But if you look at the current top four, I think if we were to rank them right now, it'd be obvious: Kevin Harvick, Denny Hamlin. I think Joey Logano is a third, but then that fourth spot, I think Brad Keselowski hasn't run too hot. I don't think Chase Elliott's a top four driver. Alex Bowman has his destroyed in the summer season or summer part of the season, but then Martin Truex Jr. He's the guy that's always there, but he never can end up picking up the wind. The win. It's a uh, something that we've seen from previous seasons with well, Kyle Busch this season. He's run up front, but he hasn't gotten a win and. William Byron used to run up front until he got his first win, and Truex is doing that. He's got to win one one win this year at Martinsville, 
But I think we're going back to Martinsville, and we're going to Texas. I think uh, Martin Truex Jr. is going to mark or win his way into championship four. Yeah, there there are a lot of must wins here on the table. Probably more so now that Joey Logano won, and coming from basically teetering on the uh, cutoff line. But I mean, I wouldn't count out Martin Truex Jr. Martinsville always runs well there. Uh, Chase Elliott's pretty stinking good at uh, intermediate tracks. So I wouldn't count him out at Texas. You could have Martinsville too. Yeah, yeah Martinsville. Chase as well. Elliott, he could still point his way in. He's only uh, eight. He's only eight behind Kozlowski. He only needs Kozlowski to have one not-so-great day. But the thing is, Kozlowski is also great at Martinsville and Texas. So it's going to be tough. It's going to be a very exciting next couple races. with Because basically everyone's mantra is that they've got to win. Because you've got Martinsville where Kozlowski is good at. Truex is great there. And uh, Hamlin... He can get it done there, along with Chase Elliott. So you got guys who can who can win there and who've won there in the past. So Texas is going to be a pivotal race for people staying out of the must-win column. But let's go ahead and jump into our next topic. Uh, a lot of silly season news this week. Eric Jones, uh, as of this morning, actually, uh, Richard Petty Motorsports announced that he will be taking over the 43 car next year. He's, uh, the team will remain with Chevy. Uh, don't know about sponsors yet, but you got to think they're going to have uh, Worldwide Technologies, uh, Victory Junction, and Craftsman on the car with other sponsors probably to come, uh, get a couple races in there. But w- I want to get y'all's thoughts about Eric Jones moving to the 43 because it certainly caught me off guard. I was figuring that Ty Dillon would get in there uh, considering they have an alliance with RCR. So this this kind of surprised me, but at the same time, doesn't really surprise me. But what do y'all think about the move to the forty three for Eric Jones? Uh, it was definitely an interesting move. I thought I kind of saw him uh, as a potential candidate for the forty eight at one point, but not anymore. But I feel like that was just his best option because seats are filling up fast. Uh, the fourteen's gone. Seems like the forty eight is locked up. Um, so really his other options would have been like going to, I don't know, maybe front row motorsports possibly, or like the 32 car. So, or even like, um, you know, JTG Doherty. So I feel like, uh, his best choice was, uh, Richard Petty Motorsports, unless there's other ones I can't think of. But yeah, I mean, a lot of the seats have already been filled and spoken for. So, and you know, it's, uh, I feel like. He'll do all right there. I don't think he's gonna. They're gonna be a winning team, at least as of right now. What we'll just have to wait and see. Um, but you know, I, I'm glad he's still in the sport, just because I hate seeing talent leave. But I've never really been a huge Eric Jones fan to begin with. Same here. I'm just not as high and excited about him as other people. But I mean, there's always room to change people's perception with some wins. So we'll, we'll see. We'll have to see what he does in the 43, but I want to get y'all's thoughts, Adam and Josh. I'm a big fan of the move. I like Eric Jones. I've liked watching him run from trucks all the way up to Xfinity, then getting the ride to cup. When he got the call, uh, call up to cup from Joe Gibbs, I was ecstatic. He's such a good guy. And I like seeing the good people stay in the sport and, Eric Jones is one of them. You know, he does the, like, reading the book to the kids and the foundation. He's just an overall nice guy. 
And like you said, thought Ty Dillon was going into 43 all this time, and now this throws another wrench in the plans. So Eric Jones did a 43, then where does Ty Dillon land? I think we're all going to look at the uh, 32 car as the probable landing spot because I still think Corey LaJoy is going to get a ride with JTG when Ryan Priest is gone. So a lot of different things to think about that uh, we didn't think about before. Could we see a Cup Series driver from this year leave the sport? Who's going to fill the 32? There's just so much more that needs to be filled, and I don't think we focus on that enough because it seems like, oh, one spot's filled. It's getting closer to the end, but there's still a lot of seats to get filled. We still don't know where Kyle Larson's going, if he's even coming back to Cup. So glad Eric Jones is coming in, but excited to see what happens next. Larson's coming back to Cup. He's yeah. He's going to the 48, guaranteed. Well, 48 yeah, already point. taken, actually. Oh, wait, well, that's awkward. Well, yeah, it is. Fourth time. <laughs> forgot about that. He's going, not the 48. He's going to the, he's going to go um, either 88 or 5. 25. Oh, we've got options, but yeah, Kyle Larson uh, got reinstated yesterday. He's eligible to start racing in NASCAR January 1st, so we're not going to see him in any rides at the end of, for the rest of the season, which is not surprising at all. Uh, but he's got, He's back in NASCAR. Chevy's back behind him. So you got to think that he's going to end up with Hendrick, uh, car number to be decided and sponsors to be decided. Uh, you got to think it's probably going to be Chevy Goods and whatever fillers, uh, sponsors that Rick uh, Rick Hendrick can pull together. But overall, I think it's a it's a good option for the ride. It's obvious that he can wheel a car. He's been winning nonstop ever since he uh, got suspended. Uh, on the dirt series, but you know, it's just one of those things where we're just gonna have to wait and see. But I like the move if he ends up landing at Hendrick, which is probably probably where he's gonna end up. I mean, I, I'd I'd be willing to put a lot of money on that. Yeah, I agree. I think it just saw you know the stars kind of aligned for this moment. I think if if Hendrick wasn't interested in, in Larson, they would have already announced another driver at this point because. Uh, you know, it's already October, and, uh, you know, usually these kind of announcements in the past, Hendrick made them in, like, August, September. So I feel like they would have already had the seat filled if they weren't waiting for Larson to get reinstated to make all the necessary announcements and, and get sponsors together and get, like, endorsement from Chevy. And that's really, in my opinion, what uh, is the nail in the coffin for this case is the fact that Chevy uh, re-endorsed Larson um, because that's really what he needs uh that's probably going to be a critical part of his sponsorship too, is uh, getting Larson or excuse me, getting Chevy back on his ship. Um, Cause you know, I feel like if, if they weren't pursuing Larson, uh, they probably would have gone after Jones in my opinion, um, or even possibly Bubba Wallace. You never know. Josh, what do you think about Kyle Larson? I'm excited to see him come back. Yeah, and he made a mistake. Uh, watched his interview the other day with CBS, and he's just – he's really honest, and he knows he made a mistake. He admitted it, admitted it, but he's very sincere about everything that happened. He works with a uh, African-American racing – youth racing development program. I can't remember where it was, but trying to get – more people into racing and ultimately make the sport more diverse. He's an Asian American himself. So 
expanding the fan base internationally is always a good thing as well as to many different people over here in the states so he's a good guy i think he made a mistake he's forgiven you see chevy come back you see nascar reinstate him he's going to get a ride somewhere if it's not the five or 25 with hendrick motorsports this year he's going to land somewhere and it's going to be in nascar yeah we can only wait to see uh what happens? Uh, it'll be a solid comeback story, uh, probably more severe or a bigger comeback story than Kurt Busch uh, with less time for that develop or to develop. But, Adam, you had something you were going to say? Uh, yeah, I was just going to say everything that NASCAR and Kyle Larson agreed upon on their on the reinstatement terms, um, even though Larson will probably continue to do this after the mandated – um, reinstatement terms through 2023 that he has to do. Uh, he has to do all his uh, speaking engagements, training, and classes, um, and then also continue to work with that Urban Youth Racing School uh, and Rev Racing um, that he already works with. Um, so it's good that, um, you know, Kyle's already said he, lear- he learned his lesson. Um, he knows what he did. He knows that it was wrong. Uh and so we'll just see what happens with that. We'll see as uh, we find out who, where he goes and how it plays on in the future. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you. All right, well, let's go ahead and jump into this week's interview. Uh, this week we had the opportunity to interview the Dennis Bickmeyer. He's president of Richmond Raceway, one of my favorite people in NASCAR. He's always a man of the fans. But before we get to the interview, let's go and just give a quick shout out to our sponsor. Uh, Today's interview is sponsored by Peak Auto. Save $7 on Peak 10X antifreeze and coolant from September 22nd to November 30th. Get your rebate at peakauto.com. Cue the Steve Everett. Let's get to the interview. All right, in this week's interview, we have the president of Richmond Raceway, the Dennis Bickmeyer. Uh, if you guys remember a couple weeks ago, we had a episode named The Dennis Bickmeyer Show, just talking about him, hyping him up, but it's really good to finally get him on the podcast. Dennis, great to have you out. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, hope I can deliver for you guys <laughs> after that hype, so I appreciate that. Yeah, so let's go ahead and just start with what got you involved in NASCAR and what steps like led you to becoming president of Richmond Raceway. So it's an interesting story, and I'll condense it pretty quickly here for time. But um, I was working – I've worked in sports my entire career. So from the time I got out of college, uh, grad school actually in, in 1989, so I'm old. Um, but uh, <clears throat> I was working for the uh, – what was then the Anaheim Angels baseball team in Southern California. And – Roger Penske built a brand new track. We know it today as Auto Club Speedway out in Fontana. And certainly they've made news here in the last few weeks as well with being reconfigured. But I was uh, a friend of mine was the first public relations director there. And he called on some of his PR friends to just come out and volunteer to help him. I'd never been to a NASCAR race before. And it was June of 1997, first race ever there. And I went out to help a friend and was just blown away by it all. It was you know, racing attacks all the senses, you know, and, and it just, it just really grabbed me. And, and to that point in my career, I had worked a Super Bowl, 
a major league baseball all-star game. I mean, I had worked big events and to see the spectacle that this was, um, and to think about it too, NASCAR does this 36 times a year. So it's not just one weekend, you know, I mean, the Daytona 500 is the biggest that we have and certainly the championship weekend, like you'll see in Phoenix in a couple of weeks, but we do this 36 times a year, huge events. Um, so it just really got me and I continued to volunteer for him and, uh, he got promoted within the Penske organization and they brought me in as the PR director after him. And that kind of launched my motorsports career. I, I'm not a motorsports guy. I wasn't at that time. I am now certainly I have the passion for it. Um, but I just love the business of sports. To me, I could, I feel like I can work in any sport because I love the business of sports. I like what this industry, what we do and how we do it. But I've been in motorsports, you know, from California to, uh, Michigan as the vice president of sales and marketing, and then certainly here at Richmond, uh, given this opportunity to, to lead this historic uh, racetrack. So that's kind of the path in motorsports, but I, again, I've been in sports my entire career. That's awesome. So I, uh, just from following you over the years and interacting with you, a lot of people say that you're the best president uh, in NASCAR for track. And I've certainly seen it with people. I know, uh, don't know if you remember this, but the 5K back in 2017, we're sitting there waiting and a couple campers had unveiled a banner like Dennis Bickmeyer, <laughs> best president ever. Has there, was there someone who was like a mentor to you that kind of instilled these practices that you, you continue to enact every year with just the, the fan engagement, all the, all the different uh, stuff that goes along with that? Or what, what kind of instilled that practice in, in you? Yeah, it's, uh, there are so many people. I mean, the list is long and we'd fill up this podcast and, and thank you. Uh, you know, I, I, I appreciate our fans saying that we've got some great track presidents, you know, throughout this country that, that, that do what I do as well. And, and, and that fan engagement piece is so important. I mean, without you guys, without the fans, you can lock up the gates and, and we all go away. I mean, everything, you guys are the heart and soul of what we do. And we certainly experienced that a couple of weeks ago with not having fans here for the races. I mean, I, it's the oddest thing I've ever done in my career. And we miss that energy that the fans uh, bring uh, to our race events. But going back to, to your question, I mean, Roger Penske, I think first and foremost, everyone listening uh, knows his impact on motorsports, but just to see him day to day, how he handles his business and how he puts customers first. And it doesn't, it's that's, he does that with his uh, car dealerships. He does that with Penske truck leasing. I mean, any of his companies, uh, he, he, he puts the, the consumer uh, first. And then a couple other people. I mean, I worked with Gillian Zucker at California. Gillian, um, I mean, she, she interacted with the fans really nonstop. Uh, she was the first one I saw who kind of set up her own email address to get fan feedback and focus groups. So, you know, that, and then, uh, and she's now with the uh, Los Angeles Clippers and Roger Curtis, who led Michigan, who took me from California to Michigan uh, with him. And, and again, just kind of seeing his interaction, you know, I, you know, he, he would go out and, and visit people nonstop, you know, from the time that the campers moved in to the time that they moved out, he was with them. So I kind of take a little bit of, you know, pieces and parts from everyone that I worked with. And so much of it goes back to how they handle their day to day, um, you know, go to work attitude, and then certainly what they do to the, the, with the staff here to keep them motivated. And then certainly with our, with our, you know, 
I don't like calling them customers. I mean, I just, they're, they're, they're fans, you know, they're, they're really, you know, a big part of what we do. So a couple of weeks back, we spoke with Bob Pockeras and asked them a question, what was the future of NASCAR? And so I want to ask you a similar question, but more specifically, what's the future of Richmond Raceway? Yeah, I think you're seeing, you know, some of it here over the last couple of years where the facilities evolved a little bit with some modernization. Um, you know, we're celebrating our 75th anniversary of being Richmond Raceway or being a racetrack in, in this location. It's obviously had a couple of names and gone through a couple of reconfigurations as well. I, I tell everyone, you know, when I got here, um, you know, my job is to get it ready for the next 75 years. And I think you've seen a little bit of that where we've been able to, you know, working with our corporate office to infuse some capital to update and modernize the facility a little bit. But that, there's a fine line there too. And, you know, being 75 years old, you still want to maintain some of that old school charm. You know, us, Darlington, Martinsville, the three oldest tracks in, in NASCAR, you still want to have kind of that old school feel as well. But certainly fans, what they want from an experience has changed and will continue to evolve and you got to be able to address uh, those needs. So again, your original question, what's the future? I think you'll continue to see some update and modernization of the facility. Um, you know, the, the two NASCAR races have been staples here for a long time. Our job is to continue to, to, to do everything we can to, to continue to have two races. You saw a big shakeup of the schedule this year. Um, so, you know, we'll do everything that we can. And, and certainly there's a lot that goes into those decisions as to where races get placed or moved around or, or changed. And, you know, we're, we're one piece of that. We're not, we're not all the pieces. Um, so, I, I mean, I think those are the biggest things is, as you look out, um, you know, I think we learned a lot during this pandemic of what a race weekend schedule will look like, you know, so there'll be, you know, we saw, we, we, we watched this no practice and, show up and race. And I think, you know, you'll see some of that going forward as well. So we may have to adjust to that. If we are one of those races where there's no practice, we're going to have to do something else to keep you guys and keep the fans entertained. And those are the discussions that we're having right now. So a couple of years back, you, uh, Richmond Raceway as a whole, did the whole reimagined deal, rebranded from Richmond International Raceway to Richmond Raceway, brought back the, uh, the red stripes on the front back stretch on the walls and uh, undertook the massive uh, rebranding of the infield with the garages and whatnot. What would you say is the most challenging part about that, whether it be the, uh, the naming rights with DC Solar or just the construction process in general? What was the most difficult part about uh, that project? Well, I mean, the most difficult part about that project was actually seeing a big hole cut in the middle of the racetrack in turn one to put the new pedestrian tunnel in. Uh, it's kind of unnerving when you look out and you see a big hole in the racetrack, you know, and then you got to rely on the experts to get it put back together and make sure that it blends uh, correctly. And fortunately, we, we, we've, been, we've been very lucky in that regard. Um, so I would say that's the biggest part. But you know, the other thing is, is the sales aspect of it. I mean, it's a $30 million project and to get that kind of money, you got to commit to a return on investment. So we've got to show the company that look through sponsorship, through uh, infield ticket sales, through concessions, whatever that may be, and using it on non-race weekends. So this is a busy facility here that we have. We got an amphitheater, we got 
couple hundred thousand square feet of trade show space. So this is a busy facility, but trying to get more events to that infield. So, you know, really the pressure is, is on the return on investment piece uh, as well. You know, the, the, the company um, made a big investment in us and, and we got to do everything we can to, to make them, you know, to, to show them that it was worth that investment and we got to get that return. One thing I want to talk about too is you kind of already touched on it is what we're all having to deal with right now, COVID-19, um, how that's really impacted Richmond Raceway. You know, April race got taken away. You still have the playoff race and the second race of the round of 16. You are getting the two races in the 21 as of now, unless there's another schedule change. Um, hopefully not. But you know, how is that, uh, how is, you know, day-to-day -day operations race weekend, how one, how was the race weekend? How is everything going about? Like, what have you had to change compared to like a normal weekend? Yeah, so the September weekend, uh, race two of the playoffs, as you guys have said, you know, without fans, it was really difficult. First of all, it was great to have, you know, cars and in this case, trucks back on the track. And then to do four races in three days was really cool. We just wish that fans could have been here to, to, to enjoy it. Uh, it was great having the trucks back. I thought the the doubleheader Xfinity Friday night Saturday night was cool. I thought the the racing was different. It played out different Friday than it did Saturday afternoon. And then to have two races on Saturday, I thought was was a an interesting twist as well. And I think more than anything, as you look at down the road, if schedules again get adjusted based on no practice, no qualifying, doubleheaders, we showed that you could do it. You know, based on getting one series in the infield, having them race, get, get out and get the other series in here. So operationally, I think things went great. Um, but the challenges for this year, I mean, we're all living them um, daily. I mean, to, to have the April race go away was difficult. And, but for all the right reasons, you know, obviously that was kind of at the beginning of all this, you know, when we think back, um, you know, with the sport shutting down in March, and then when we came back to racing, we had to shuffle the deck and get to racetracks where we could race. So our race got shifted over to Darlington. But I will tell you, I give our sport, um, you know, just really, really high praise to think that we're actually on schedule. You know, I mean, to be shut down for two months, to get back to racing, to do it in a very smart, methodical way, to slowly introduce fans back where we could. I mean, I think, I think this will be a tremendous case study, you know, um, on how NASCAR was able to accomplish this. And to think when we got to Daytona in August, uh, that was the regular season finale. And it ran on the day it was supposed to run. I mean, that is an incredible accomplishment for this industry. And you can't do it without a good leadership, but B, everybody pulling together, the race teams, you know, the NASCAR officials, the team ownership, the racetracks, the communities where we race, all those things really came together to make this work. And, and now we got to get through the next four weeks and, and we'll crown a champion here in about a month. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. And I uh, always came to your track. Uh, since I was really young. So walking out on my front porch and being able to hear a car is just hurt because I'm usually in the stands watching all of it. But uh, IndyCar was supposed to uh, come to Richmond this year and make their return. And they weren't able to because of COVID-19. 
the schedule is released that IndyCar isn't returning. Is IndyCar going to be able to make a return to Richmond at some point? Well, it, it remains to be seen. Like us in, on the NASCAR side, they've gone through a lot of changes. And I mentioned Roger's name a few times here, but Mr. Penske buying that series, buying IMS. Um, so they've got a lot of things that, that, that they're doing through this reorg and trying to get their legs under them as well as they move on to the future. So a couple of things. First, it was, it was difficult not to be able to have that race as well. Um, you know, when we had them on the schedule, uh, there were a lot of people excited about that, especially to be their only race up and down the mid-Atlantic um, as well. It was important to them, certainly from a series standpoint. And then when that race wasn't able to happen because of going through the, because of the pandemic, and then with their so many changes going on there, so many changes going on on our side. We just couldn't get to a point where we could get something scheduled for 2021. And, and you know, you never say never. I just don't know, you know, kind of where they're going to be in a couple of years or where we're going to be in a couple of years. I don't think you ever close the door on, on opportunities to, to talk to other series, to diversify the racing. But right now our focus is squarely on our two NASCAR races for 2021. All right, Dennis. Well, I appreciate your time today. And uh, every week on the podcast, or podcast, we finish it off by doing a, uh, a hot take and a dark horse for the upcoming weekend. And we've gotten everyone that we've interviewed so far to weigh in on what they or who they think will be a dark horse for the championship race, along with a hot take for the remainder of the season. So I'd love to hear what you uh, what you're what you're thinking. Well, when you're down to eight, there really aren't any dark horses here now because uh, eight goes to four. And, and you're one of the eight because you're really good. So, you know, I, I, there are some guys that have a little bit of a, of a hill to climb. You know, I think that, you know, the Keselowski and, and Logano, I think they got to come out of the gate strong here in Kansas um, and not get further behind the eight ball, really. Um, so, I mean, let's, let's, you know, Harvick and Hamlin are just the years that they've had are phenomenal. Um, so I think, you know, so many people have them penciled in to the next two spots. I think Chase Elliott moves into this round with some momentum coming off the Roval win. So I think, I think for me, I'm, I'm kind of keeping my eyes on the two Penske guys, on, on Brad and Joey. And if they stumble in Kansas, eh, it might be tough to, you know, it might be tough to get to that, that championship four um, in Phoenix. But, look, I like the field. Um, I, I think it's, again, you're, you're one of the eight for a reason, but man, Harvick and Hamlin, um, they've made it tough for, uh, for six other drivers in some respects to get in there. Now, I will, one last quick thing though, uh, Harvick did not have the round two that I think anyone expected Harvick to have. So you guys are all shaking your head and, you know, so now you got to start thinking, is there a little bit of doubt amongst that team as to kind of kind of where they are the good thing is is they racked up so many wins and bonus points and on and on and on but that's helped them um but I, you know it'll be an interesting storyline to watch um just because they didn't have a good round two so um i'm not trying to skirt your answer i just i just think it's tough to pick a dark horse out of these eight for sure all right well, Dennis, I really appreciate you coming out to speak with us. And we, we re, uh, wish you luck up in the next year with uh, you got your two dates. And we really hope they go well. And hopefully we'll have a, a packed house, another sold out race at Richmond Raceway. But I appreciate you coming out and we'll hope to speak to you soon.
Yeah, anytime, guys. You know where, you know how to find me. So uh, anything that's happening in the sport and you need a quick comment or something, don't hesitate to reach out. But appreciate you guys thinking of me. Thanks. Awesome. Thank you. And that was our interview with the Dennis Bickmeyer. Make sure you go follow him on social media. Uh, he's definitely worth a follow, and you will fall in love with him as all of us have fallen in love with him. But thank you again, Dennis, for coming out. Uh, we definitely appreciate it, and we hope you have you on real soon. Let's go and jump into Dark Horse and Hot Takes for Texas Motor Speedway. But I'm going to add a third category here just because it's Texas, and Texas is known for its Uh-oh. sweet barbecue. Uh, along with your hot take and dark horse, let's get your premier side item to a pulled pork sandwich. Starting with you, Adam, Mr. Barbecue. <laughs> Intriguing. All right, uh, let's roll dark horse Alex Bowman. Uh, I'm going to roll with him. I was teetering between Chase Elliott and Alex Bowman, but um, I think Chase Elliott's a lot better at the intermediate tracks than Bowman's, but, so we'll be able to see what happens there. Hot take for the week. Uh... Roll. See, Alex Bowman's going to get a top five, two, two top ten stage points throughout the race. Chase Elliott ends up winning the race, punching his ticket to Phoenix. And uh, let's roll favorite side item to a pork sandwich. Wow. Broccoli salad. Oh, uh, what? Broccoli salad. Out of all, out of all, all the options, you choose broccoli salad. God. Dude, broccoli. Okay. Why have I up. never heard of broccoli salad? Well, it's because you're it's a from southern the north. Thing. Probably a it's good a reason. Thing. It's, you're from the north. It's a southern thing. Bro- broccoli salad Virginia. is good, but I would not. It, it, I'm, from, if I'm standing in line at a Texas barbecue joint, whoa, there's wait. no way I'm going to order a bro- some broccoli salad. Okay, wait, wait, hang on. I just said you're from the north, and you said you're from Virginia. Thank you for clarifying that you're from the north. It's south of the Mason-Dixon. Thank you very yeah. much. Okay, yes. no. Virginia, Virginia no. is the southern northern state. No. That's that's where the South begins is in Virginia. You don't if you're from Virginia and you ask the question sweet tea or lemonade, you're definitely a northerner. Sweet tea. It's definitely both. Sweet tea. Okay. If I have the option, I'll take both in the same glass, but uh, sweet tea trash. is preferred. Lemonade is awful. Okay, well just listen to this though. Broccoli salad. You got half and half cream, broccoli, raisins. Uh, raisins. <laughs> raisins. No, who puts raisins in broccoli? Ta- no, who, no, no. Raisins. No, you gotta go or... bacon. Dude, that's like the most. That's like okay. So I got family Fantastic. from the, I got family from Indiana and family from Alabama, and we split Thanksgivings. Uh, I can usually expect for Thanksgiving when I'm with the Southern Howard, the Alabama family, to get some good Southern cooking. The one that you feel like you need a triple bypass after eating. And when I eat. <laughs> Thanksgiving with my Indiana folk, uh, I can expect craisins and pecans and salads and broccoli salad, but that's that's not Southern. So, Adam Thomas, you've ruined your reputation with barbecue. Uh, good day to okay. you, Jay. What you got for us? Intrigued. Yeah, so um, Texas, we're looking up at it. And you know, honestly, I'm not gonna give a uh, I'm not gonna give a hot take about Texas. I'm actually gonna give a hot take that I may get a lot of flack for. Um, but Kevin Harvick, my hot take: Kevin Harvick will not win another championship for the rest of his career. Whoa, love it. Um, 
And, you know, it was just something about it. I feel like if he was destined to win another championship, he would have done it already. He had so many opportunities. Um, I just, for some reason, I just don't see him being my, the favorite. I feel like the competition is too stiff. Even though it's at Phoenix, um, I feel like drivers like Logano, uh, Elliot, Hamlin, they could all beat him at, at Phoenix if they get the chance. So I just don't, I don't know. Um, so I might have to defend myself on Twitter for this later. Um, yeah, you you know, dark horses, um, you know, I think Almarola, I don't know. I feel like he's a dark horse at this point because he's out of the playoffs. But, uh, you know, he's, you know, you can never write him out. And he went laps here um, before, you know, last year and such like that. So I have a good feeling about Stuart Haas in general at Texas. And then so uh, on to the barbecue stuff. Um, you know, I'm definitely not going to be as controversial as Adam. There will be no craisins. There will be no uh, spinach or, or broccoli sleeping, or whatever. Pecans. There, yeah, pecans. Uh, I'm just going to go with mac and cheese because no you matter would. what, it slaps. I'm sorry. It, you can't not have mac and cheese with some barbecue. Um, so now, yeah, How do you like your mac and, and cheese? Simple. It's got to be like baked. It? Thank it's you. gotta be okay. big. Yeah, I don't. I'm not really a fan of like the gooey mac and cheese. That doesn't really do it for me. If I wanted like cheese soup, I wouldn't. You know, <laughs> it's just not what I'm into. I I like baked mac and cheese with like a little bit of like crumbs, like some like crunchy stuff on top. I don't know. Like, you know, you know what I'm saying. But yeah, some that's, some that's it. craisins and pecans on top of your mac and cheese. Absolutely not. That is a sin, <laughs> punishable by death. Oh, my goodness. All right. Josh, what you got for us? All right, so hot take. It's very hard to come up with a hot take because Texas is boring. But um, I'm going to That's a hot take right there. I'm going to say that the winner of the race sweeps all three stages. And the winner, I hope, is Alex Bowman. But my dark horse is going to be Austin Dillon. Uh, Won there in the spring. Kind of self-explanatory. He's pretty solid. I think he's going to run well again. Now, Barbara. Especially won there in the summer. What'd you say? I said he, he actually won, in won there in the summer, but you know. I think I forget that coronavirus happened. So we're like, I'm talking about spring. How could you forget that coronavirus happened? <laughs> it literally year. impacted our lives for <laughs> since March. It's like the spring race. I call them spring races, and they're like midsummer, but they're usually spring. So let me get into my barbecue take before I catch any more slack. I'm going to go cornbread. Cornbread. That's, that, you know, that's a good pick. With or without that. butter? What? Oh. Butter. Can't have bread without butter. You can. I don't. Wait. I don't put. Uh, I don't. I don't put butter on my cinnamon swirl bread. You don't. I don't. <laughs> okay. No. So let you me let it. me raise a question here. Would you? Have you ever, or would you ever eat pulled pork on a on a biscuit? Oh. Yeah. It's, Absolutely. It depends. Okay. Okay. It depends. You, okay, you would say that. You gotta load it up with some kind of sauce. Yeah, well, no, well, just I mean, just the it's it's the idea of pulled pulled it's pork just, on a biscuit. Yes, the concept. See, if I you're mean, gonna put pulled try. pork on a Bojangles biscuit, you're gonna need a bunch of sauce, or you're gonna be choking. Yeah. I don't know. I think that's Popeyes. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. it's both it's both them. I mean, besides Bojangles, be a little Chick-fil-A. moist. Sometimes. Not really, yeah. not really. 
I mean, you get the reason. breakfast, you get the breakfast, chicken biscuit, and you're sitting there with. If you don't have a drink, dude, you're choking as you're driving. Like, and there's, there's biscuit the everywhere. I know you. You don't drink water till about three o'clock in the afternoon. You'd be thirsty. As if even, dude. Yeah, no, dude, it's all coke. Wake up, coke. coke. All right, well, my 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 yeah. hot take. Actually, I'll start with my dark horse. My dark horse for Texas. Here it goes. Uh, we're gonna uh, we're gonna go with. Kurt Busch. Kurt Busch is ne- he is ne- <laughs> he's, he hasn't run very well in all of his years of Cup. He's only had one win there, uh, so I would label him as a dark horse. Uh, he's in a must-win situation basically, so he's going to be gunning. Uh, hot take: We're going to see two Chevys win in the next three races, so it's going to be Texas wow. and it's going to be at Phoenix with Chase Elliott taking the championship in Phoenix. Uh, side item for barbecue as a tough one because I, I do enjoy my baked beans, but I'm going to go with fried beans. okra. Fried okra. And if you're ever in Alabama, make sure you go to Dreamland Barbecue, get the fried okra. It'll change your life. It'll knock your socks off. But we're running out of time here. Make sure you go follow us on social media. Go check out our blog posts. Uh, go roast Adam a little bit in his broccoli salad. But uh, thanks for tuning in this week. This is the Behind the Wall podcast.